Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Gail and I are here today to talk about romance. (laughs) (laughs) We both laugh as we say this. We've I already told Gail backlist is fine because it's not like we read a ton of romance that you know that we can recommend and it's okay if the romance is not very romantic or if it's a little bit tragic otherwise we wouldn't have anything to talk about yeah so i went through like my entire index of reviews yesterday and i was like oh tragic dysfunctional ends in divorce dies not good <laughs> yeah uh unfaithful uh, <laughs> it's like, I was like, none of these is really a love story. I mean, love may come into it. So it was definitely hard to find a group of romantic books or even like non-dysfunctional books, but I've got a few. And we did, we turned to our Facebook group for some help yes. to see yes. what they thought. And they didn't have like really romantic. I mean, they were tragic and complex and... I don't know. Maybe when you read lots of literary fiction and psychological thrillers, your idea, I mean, I think that you're looking to delve into complex relationships. So the ones that turn out very well, we don't read as many. Yeah. But there are, that's right. There are a few. Yeah. I think Gail one read one last week. I had said, you know, Gail, you're going to have to hold that, but whatever. We'll mention that one briefly. Yeah. So we're going to get to, we're going to get to those. We're going to get to what we're reading, but I have like, there's some news items I want to discuss because I feel like things have been going on in the literary world Mm -hmm. that the literary world is getting some drama. (laughs) All right. We'll share. So this morning, and we were just talking about Barbara Ehrenreich last week, she got into hot water on Twitter for going after Marie Kondo. You're kidding. No, there's like this big thing about her, you know, like she's being called a racist after her tweets, you know, some of which she's already deleted or whatever. So that was a big story this morning. Wait, who? Okay, so Barbara Ehrenreich is racist? That's yeah. the allegation? That's what, I mean, that's that's the allegation. What's well, you know, when I first said Kondo? this, I was just like, everyone's going after Marie Kondo because no one wants them going after their books. And I was like, well, this... Sort of has to be an exaggeration, but I guess she mentioned, you know, she said something to the effect of, you know, if we can't even get her on the show speaking English and something about, you know, the decline of the United States as a power because we're looking to this woman who has a show on Netflix and she doesn't even have to speak English to do it. You know, she's like doing it through a translator. Wait, 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 wait. Barbara Ehrenreich said that or other people are saying that? No, Barbara Ehrenreich said that in her tweets. Oh my God, I'm shocked. I know, right? I'm she shocked. seems like she's such a champion of the underdog. I, mean, I could see Barbara Ehrenreich having issues with Marie Kondo because Marie Kondo's whole thing addresses excess and, you know, people 
although they're sort of, I mean, it's not like they're diametrically opposed, but I can see, I can see Barbara Ehrenreich kind of rolling her eyes at the whole Marie Kondo phenomenon as kind of like a rich white people problem because it's all about having too much stuff and paring down and simplicity. And she might say, listen, there's a lot of people living out there who don't have a lot of things. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what I kind of thought it was. I was just like, we're just, we're just blowing this up again. And I really don't think that's anything because, you know, lots of book lovers have said that, but you know, I think when you watch the show or when you listen to what she says, she's just like trying to make room for things that you really love. You really, I mean, if your books spark joy, keep them. Right. But that, but to go after her for not speaking English, that's but ridiculous. Her, right. Well, yeah. Interesting. Wow. I've missed this. I'm going to have to check this out after, yeah. after the show. I conf- Well, the tweet that she didn't delete, I think she tried to clean it up and she said, I confess, I hate Marie Kondo because aesthetically speaking, I'm on the side of clutter, which, you know, is what I thought um, that would be about. I'm fine. As for her language, it's okay with me that she doesn't speak English to her huge American audience, but it does suggest that Mer- America is in decline as a superpower. I was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> okay, that is a bit much. So um, that's a little I, bit problematic. And I then she her, apologized. Her. She said, sorry to anyone offended by my tweet. Sometimes my attempts at subtle humor just doesn't work. I am just a big fan of just keeping stuff like this off Twitter, off your social media. Tell it to a friend. If you <laughs> if you want to talk to about Marie Kondo and whether she speaks good English or not. And, you know, I think one of the things that her, her camp, they haven't, she hasn't really said anything about it publicly, but I think they said something similar to, you know, she speaks English, but she's not very comfortable with her. I mean, it's like if, if I had to go someplace like French or some language that I'm Spanish, you know, I'd want a translator too. <laughs> I would not want to put my Spanish or French out there. You know, I'd be saying very basic things. I think for the ease of the show is probably why they do an interpreter, but I don't know. She's facing a little bit of backlash. Wow. That's interesting. I saw it. I was Barbara totally Enrique. surprised. And yeah, yeah I, it's just like you just saw I, her, I saw last her week. speak last week and you know, she's a little crotchety. Like she's getting kind of, she's, she just seems like she sort of speaks her mind, doesn't really care what people think type thing. And I mean, I guess it's not the really joke surprised. that we make about older people, like, you know, your grandparents or whoever, they just don't, you well, know, yeah. they I mean, just don't care fits, anymore. Yeah. I think this sort of fits. Of course, your grandparents didn't have Twitter accounts. So true. Wow. Well, that's very interesting. All right. What else is going on in the book world? So then, well, you know, I don't know. I used to be on Twitter a lot, you know, with, with, with book stuff. And just in recent years, probably the last two or three years, I haven't because I just felt like there was always some kind of drama that was going on. And, you know, it just seems just argumentative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I had just read Children of Blood and Bone, and apparently the author of that book had had sort of Twitter beef with Nora Roberts because she's coming out with a book that has the same title. And I guess she, uh, Tony Adeyemi didn't realize that, you know, oh, well, you can't, first. you can't, well, you can't copyright a title. I mean, there's, I mean, if you could, yeah, you can't copyright titles. 
Um, no, but those, it is a very unusual name. So who had the name first? Like who's, well, her book is out now and I guess Nora Roberts book is going to be coming out probably this spring or this summer, but I think maybe she had started writing her book before children of blood and bone came out. I don't even know if it's the exact same title. I don't remember. I, I read this a while ago, but it's just interesting to me that all of these Twitter things are exploding. And then there was some other YA novelist, I think, that has pulled her novel because she got into some questions of whether, you know, some racial stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Just write your books, guys. Stay off Twitter. Yeah, really. People are cranky. And then, so yesterday, I sent you the article from The New Yorker about A.J. Finn, whose name is Dan Malloy, who is the author of The Woman in the Window. And it seems like maybe some of his writing is is based um, heavily on his personal life. Yeah. So that article, I mean, I was trying to read it on my phone, and it was like just this long, meandering, like litany of all these lies he has told about his life and being ill and his parents being ill. And it turns out parents being dead, brother being dead, dead, suicide. And it turns out like none of this stuff actually happened. Him having a brain tumor. Right. Um, Yeah, that was crazy. You know, one of the things it wasn't very clear to me was like what prompted this the one of the interesting things that was said in this article, you know, because I, I think about when, you know, what was this book came, we heard about it at the um, adult books buzz panel a couple of years ago, I want to say hot, the right. hot fiction That's panel. Right. And I, you know, I remember us hearing about this and it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, and surprise, one of our editors, he wrote this book. <laughs> right. And I don't know. I mean. Maybe this is in hindsight, I'm reconstructing the event, but it just seemed sort of kind of odd. You know, they didn't go on to, I don't think they named him. I don't think they named which house he was from. Did they? Or did, no, uh, I think, no, Morrow said that he was one of theirs. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I remember thinking it was like so weird that there was, you know, an auction for it. And they said that they had won the rights for it. And then, of course, in, in this article, they mentioned that, you know, once <laughs> once it came out who they were dealing with, that everyone just dropped out of this auction. Yes. Oh, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. So he, I guess he's in the middle of writing another book. Of course, The Woman in the Window is, you know, has had a very popular run. Yep. Um, a movie I think is going to be coming out in October. The paperback will be coming out in the spring. And I think it's been, it's probably in hardcover for a year and, a, and some months. So that's pretty good for a hardcover. Yeah. Um, if you make it, I mean, Amor Toll's book, the, um, oh, I can't think of the name about it. The, some, the, a gentleman in Moscow. I don't think that's out in paper book yet. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Yeah. But people well, are I'm, still buying it. So Yeah. I'm not surprised that he is I mean, that will be definitely made into a movie. I saw with Amy Adams and uh who was the other the actor that they mentioned? I don't remember. Well, that was quite a story. 
I wonder how many people read The New Yorker and how... Well, it's being picked up other places because I think I saw something in Vulture about it. I was like, I should have sent Gail this article because I think the as a TLDR version. <laughs> right. Because right. it was so... I mean, The New Yorker, I just kept flipping the pages and I was like, we're still going on about... <laughs> The different times and different places, the degrees that he didn't get, you know, and he has still rolled on with his career. So, yeah. All right. So that's that's our news for today. So let's transition over. Oh, actually, I had one more thing to say, which is a book that we both love, won the, the Carnegie Award for Fiction, and that is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't know that. Yeah. Heavy one. Heavy by, I think his name is, I'm going to get his name wrong. I should look at what it is. Did you want to read this book? Please. I, but that's great news for Rebecca Mackay. I'm so thrilled when that book gets love. I know, right? It's really good. Heavy, an American memoir by Keith Lehman. I knew it was something. Or Keith Lehman. Okay. Maybe there's no fancy French accent for it. So yeah, so it won for nonfiction and I did want to read. Um, he he wrote a bunch of personal essays that got a lot of acclaim. So I was really excited to see that. So Gail, let's get into what have you finished reading? So I've been in this weird, like, peripatetic, can't focus on any one thing. I've got like four books going at one time. And this is what happens when you don't plan your reading. And I like that I don't plan it because as we've discussed, I like to mood read based on what I've, you know, just finished and what I'm in the mood to do. But as a result, I have like all these books going at one time. So I had to tie up some loose ends. Um, I finished There There, which I had been reading on audio and switch to print. So that's done. And then I've started this other random novel that I'm reading when I dry my hair in the morning. So it's going in like short chunks. And then I am reading some uh, nonfiction from the library. And then yesterday I started Michelle Obama on audio. So I kind of have those off those four going at one time. And then I have like these other books that are waiting in the wings that need to be read soon. So it's kind of, I'm feeling a little like stressed about the reading stuff right now. All right. So now I'm going to interview you about your reading because you've said some interesting okay. things that I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So I know with you, we, we've, we've heard many times how Gail is, she's very on top of her organizing her library reads and she doesn't like to have anything late so with dc when i'm assuming a lot of the books that you get out are pretty front list yeah how, how do you gamble i mean how do you juggle that like well that, i mean that's the problem i hate having things overdue now dc uh it gives you a one month grace period which is ridiculous before it starts charging you fines so the pressure I feel is entirely like internal and then to the next person on the list. I just feel guilty that like somebody's waiting for this. It's not money stacking up. Um, Montgomery County, Maryland, um, which is the other system I use, they do start charging after like two or three days and it's not insignificant. I don't know. It's like 50 cents a day or something. So I mean, that can add up. But um, so it's really just like this weird little like internal obsession that I have that like I hate having things late or overdue. How so, many do you get out at a time? Well, I, that's why I got to keep that low. So, I mean, sometimes I'll have like five out, but if, if they can't all be new releases, cause then they all got to go back. 
Sometimes right. it's like backlist stuff. And then I just keep renewing. Oh, DC will let you renew it up to eight times, whereas Montgomery County only lets you renew three times. And it's for three weeks each. So I think New York lets you renew them. But if someone else has it on hold, it doesn't matter if it's not a hold that's coming from the particular library you borrowed it from because, you know, they will send right. books all over the system. Like if any, if one person has it on hold, then the book has to go back. Exactly. Right. If the book's on hold, you're, you've got three weeks and that's it. And we have two weeks with new releases. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Wow. That's little. So the book I have out from the library that I'm reading, the nonfiction, is a new release, and it's going to have to go back. Um, so, and it's hungover, which we've talked about on the show. And you said you have that on on um, digital, right? So um, I started it. It's I don't. I mean, it, it's I want to read it because I want to get the information, but I don't love it. Like he's. <laughs> I think what's going to happen is he kind of goes on this like adventure around the globe and keeps. Like, this is what I don't understand. The first chapter opens in Vegas. So he goes out and has this incredibly, you know, indulgent night, drinks all this stuff. Then he's totally hungover the next morning. And he goes to this place that's like a hangover place that where you go and you get hooked up to an IV and they feed you all these, you know, pump all this stuff in your system and you put oxygen on. And then he goes and does this adventure stuff. Like he goes to drive these race cars and then the next day he's going to do the same thing but jump out of a helicopter or something and i'm like i don't i don't get the connection the 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 like adventure seeking stuff doesn't seem to be related to the hangover stuff unless he unless there's some connection that he feels like if you push yourself to do physical activity i don't know so i don't understand quite yet how this book is going to be structured well this sounds like it should have been an article to me yeah it totally should have been an article but i think what he's trying to do and i'm the sucker who fell right into his trap I'm just going to flip to the back. Get people, exactly. He wants people <laughs> to buy the book to get to the hangover remedy. And but don't we, he does, I mean, don't we know, what's your, what's your, you know, you've gone out, you've had that one glass of wine too many, and I say one, but. <laughs> <laughs> what's my go-to? What's your go-to? I, that's the problem. I don't have a good one. And that's you why don't I'm have a go-to? Book. I mean, you want to drink a bunch of water and take some Advil. But then, no, like, but it's 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 B vitamins, and yeah. I don't know. I take charcoal. Charcoal. Yeah, I take How a do couple. You take of, it? Well, it, it comes in ca- tablet form. I take a couple of tablets. Sometimes, if I feel like, you know, not that I'm saying, oh my god, I'm going to go get bombed tonight, so let me take these charcoal tablets. But sometimes, if you're going out, just like I'm just going to take a few of these because they help absorb toxins or whatever. Do you take it before you go out? You can take it before you go out, but I've also just like, ugh, just I feel terrible and I will take some in the morning and it's sort of, it helps absorb stuff. Uh, I mean, charcoal is what they use. Like if you've, well, I've never had to have my stomach pumped, but I've heard that, that that's sort of what they use right. to help you uh, know, so you start absorbing too. stuff. Yes. To help absorption. Another one swears by B vitamins, like because the, yeah. B vitamins and potassium. So like, Having a banana. I mean, the last thing you want to do when you're really hungover is like drink or eat anything. Yeah. So. Well, someone in my office gave me this remedy that I tried. I've tried half. I've tried one of them. She gave me two remedies. And the first one is this like electrolyte, like little concentrated electrolyte thing. And I tried this recently and it kept me awake. Like I couldn't, 
I slept for like two hours and then I woke up with my heart pounding. So I'm not, I'm not sure I can do that again. I'm allergic to caffeine and I'm, I'm, susp- I'm wondering if there was caffeine in it, even though I don't, it didn't say that it was, but I'm just wondering about that. So that may be off the table. But then the other thing is this like magnesium calming thing mm-hmm. that, um, and I think he mentions magnesium in the book. What I should probably do is just skip to the end and then return the book. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, really, get you a B vitamin complex, I think, take, you know, have a banana, yeah. take some B vitamins and, you know, have a Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, right. Like Pedialyte or something. Yeah. So anyway, that that's the, the nonfiction. It's going to have to go back to the library. I'm going to give it another chapter and see if he does anything interesting other than, like, I, I'm just trying to understand this book better before I give up on it. Like, I just, I he's just like, Hey, I like to get drunk in different places. Yeah. I think that's what he does. He goes around the world, gets drunk in different places. And my and cure will be at stuff. the end. Right. I mean, it'd be nice to go someplace and get hooked up to an IV and get an oxygen mask on, but that's not very practical. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't really do that. Be, much. I don't know if I want to be poked with an IV after a night out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that too. All right, so that's the nonfiction, and then I just want to see if people are th- are saying what, like, what are the three point eight five? Wow, that's that's pretty high. That's the reviews of Hungover. Three point eight five stars. That's close to four. I mean, I feel like most books. Well, of course, the books that I really enjoy they skew low, like three point three, three point five, because they're literary and and slow and people think they're boring (laughs) right 3.85 is is very high it is high someone Uh, says i'm a sucker for compelling quest books stories of men and women striding confidently around the globe in search of fame riches or adventure yeah see this is turning out to be more of that type of book than it is a like a true just like how-to guide to avoid a hangover Chris says, politically clueless wannabe gonzo white straight male writers are not for me. (laughs) He writes in (laughs) lots of interesting historical, cultural, and scientific tidbits. But the attempt to add supposedly interesting personal narrative just killed it for me. Too many agonizing tales of fear of introspection and self-loathing in Las Vegas and elsewhere. (laughs) Plus one scientific, plus one unscientific and poorly researched cure. Do not make a good read. Okay. Do you hear? That's what, that's sort of what I'm saying. All right. Well, you guys, I'll save you money. Uh, Eat a banana, drink some water. You know, if if you're in a really bad way, yeah, take your B vitamins and, um, and, and get some charcoal. Yeah. And now I have to find another book for my uh, self-help category then, but that's fine. So you're, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There must be other good stuff that, you know, could. I'm sure I can find something. (laughs) Then the Michelle Obama book. I'm like, you know, a tenth of the way in, which doesn't say much. You got that on audio. Did you have the print version too? Yep. I have the print too. And it's so good. I really, really like it so far. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Did you pick it back up again after the first fifty pages? Yep, I'm reading it because it's for my book club. I mean, oh, I, I feel like with that book, it's so it's so good that it's just you know, like I said, I had to I have to stop 
reading books to discard them because something like that book will sit on my shelf forever because I know that when I pick it up to read it, it's like a guaranteed good read. Yes. But yes, but I'm reading it for my book club, so. How far into it are you? Uh, I'm still not that far in because I know that I have to read it and I'll probably read it the week, you know, like really get yeah. into reading, do, doing my heaviest reading probably the week before I have to sit and discuss it. So it'll be nice and fresh. Right. So back in December, like I was looking, I saw an old article that, I don't know, it came out by mid-December that that book was on track to have sold 3 million copies. Wow. Which I don't, you know, now it's almost, you know, six, it's six weeks later. So I just wonder, I, you know, I wanted to look up and I haven't yet how many copies Obama's book sold. And I guess his, I don't know when his book is coming out, but it'll be interesting to see which one sells more. Cause I think she mm-hmm. has a particular kind of appeal. Like we've heard a lot about, oh, we've heard a lot from Obama. Yeah. Um, although did his books come out before he was president? Yes. I'm trying to remember. See, at so least one I, of them did, because I feel like that was what people were leaning on in terms of evaluating his politics and his background. Well, I think that he's going to, I mean, there's going to be a lot of interest in hearing his story from well, during his years as president. Right. You know, it, it, it's going to be another blockbuster book when that comes out. Of course, it's going to be a blockbuster. Yeah. I don't know if it'll hit becoming, but it, I wonder if they have a nice little healthy rivalry going on between the two of them over whose book is going to sell more. Yeah. I mean, I find it really interesting because the book, the Fury book, the one that was about Trump, I guess it came out and it sold well, but it really dropped off. But hers is just selling and selling. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I think that. Who did we talk to? Were we talking to Sarah when we were talking about books that benefit from a moment? I feel like her book is benefiting from a moment, too. I do, but I also think that she's this book will last. And I think people will will always want to read it and will be interested in her. No, I totally agree with that. But I just think that because of all of the just the stuff around women and and yes, the activism that's now going on. I think that it definitely, it was always going to do well. This is, this book will always be of interest. I feel like, you know, it's always going to sell copies. It'll be one of those sort of evergreen books that audiences are finding. But I definitely think that this moment in particular is just can only amplify it, I guess. Right. All right. So is that all for you? What yeah, else are you reading? That's all. Uh, well, I finished there, there last night. And I did not like the ending. You didn't? No. Well, the ending was terrible. I mean, it was always going to be terrible. I'm trying to understand why it had to end that way. Um, I don't want to do any spoilers for people who are listening who haven't read the book. It's just, it takes a violent turn that I'm just not sure was needed. The book had so much sadness in it already that I was just sort of sad that that it you know it seemed like it was almost gratuitous I don't know I don't know that I thought it was gratuitous because probably because it starts out with that being the plan I mean it's not it's not like a secret it's like one of the first stories that 
you know, it's almost like, okay, there's a gun in the first chapter. Where is it going to show up? And the novel starts with, you know, this troubled, these troubled young men. And one, you're not even sure if he knows what's really going on. Like he, he explains a lot about his background that you're not really sure. I mean, the level that he's functioning with and the people that he's getting caught up in, you know, that there's some bad things that are coming. So you know, I think it was just, I think that starting the book that way, just it built, I just felt like we were building towards something that was inevitable. Like you already knew something bad was going to happen. Yeah, for sure you did. But it was a beautiful book. Um, it was very compelling and uh, a worthwhile read. Not like necessarily the most, you know, pleasant book to read ever, but it was, um, I'm certainly glad I read it. Yeah. So you finished there, there, and you told us what you're juggling. Yeah. So the Obama book doesn't have to go back, but hungover has to go back. Is there anything else in this batch of library books that you're going to read since you don't even think you're going to finish hungover? (laughs) There's a library book that I've had. I have renewed it eight times. Oh my god! And I am—I have reached the end. It's this book about '80s movies and about how, like, the legacy of '80s movies. And it's really good. And I started it. And I read the first chapter, and I just put it down. And just haven't picked it back up. And I never seem to like have. It never. It, it, it's never the book I want to read at any particular moment. And I think I'm just going to return it and then take it out again in like a month. So you because get a fre- you get a fresh eight renewals if you return it and then I don't know I've never tried it (laughs) I'll let you know so why okay so I know that you typically like the 80s but this one isn't grabbing you so why do you feel like you have to why are you going to take it out again because I want to read it I want to read it well someone recommended it from this other podcast that I that I co-host sometimes and um she's like you'd really like it and I read the first chapter and I did really like it I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's guilt. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with it. The other thing too, is I can, I can use my grace period month to stretch that to nine. I was thinking that I have owned, I've had this book in my possession for almost a year. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. Eight. Well, no, that's half a year, right? Eight eight renewals. But you're, with the yeah, original right. checkout yeah. time. So half a year. Half a year. And clearly nobody else in the greater Washington metropolitan area is clamoring <laughs> for it. No. So from the D.C. library's perspective, it's not a big loss for them at the moment. It's safe. It's not hurt. It's I know where it is. I'm a responsible library patron. It's with Gail Weiswasser. <laughs> it's with me. So it's not really hurting anyone right now. But I, I just it's that guilt. And even and so, how will you times. feel if you try to keep it out during this thirty-day grace period? It's gonna like burn a. Uh, it's gonna be like a glowing ember on my on my night table, like <laughs> like the telltale heart saying, "Read me, read me." But I have. But the problem is, I have. I'm hosting this author event in March. I got to read those two books. Uh, pretty soon, there's going to be a new book club book. Then you and I were talking about reading a book together, which we haven't. I haven't procured yet in print, but I will. And so like, I still don't see it necessarily happening right away. Right. And I've got, you know, 19 hours of Michelle Obama. And then I've got to get myself through hungover. So it's like that book just is sliding lower and lower. In your Goodreads TBR, and then just forget about it. If you come back to it. 
Oh, that's something I wanted to tell you because I want to tell you nerdy things like this. I cleared my Goodreads TBR. Like I only left things that I had added this year because I want to, you know, I usually want to refresh my TBR because it gets ridiculously long because I don't, there was like a thousand books on it. It was something, some insanity. And so I deleted it. Which I think that I'm going to, huh? What, what book was it? No, I said the entire thing. Anything oh, that the I didn't entire add thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You to just my TBR are. list. Yeah. This I've year. I've heard you say that before. That like, I got you rid periodically of it. clean but I it had, out. Yeah, I hadn't done it. I had books on there that I had added in 2017. Actually, I guess that's not. Well, yeah, but it was it was a lot of books. So right now, my wanna read list is at 90 on Goodreads. But I think what I'm going to start doing is to not do it on because it's so easy to add books on Goodreads. I think I'm going to do a little column on my website once a month where I get to add books to say what I want to read and why I want to read it. And then I'll have that list there for me. And maybe if I have to do something like that, it's not going to be like this insanely long thing. Right. Something else I've learned over time is that the books you want to read change with you. Like, yes, they do. They do. And, you know, obviously some, sometimes it's situational. Like, you know, when I was like a young mother, I was really interested in reading books about young mothers. Um, I feel like, not that I was ever a particularly young mother, but a new mother, maybe that's the right word. I think that like, that's really healthy to just acknowledge that, you know, you've changed and the books you want to read have changed and that it just simplifies things to get rid of the old stuff. Yeah. And if, I just feel like anything that if you really want to read it or if it's really recommended, things like this, they turn up again and again. So if it was really something that I had to read, I'll hear about it again or I'll have a prompt that will help me to remember what it was. Like, I just feel like if I need to read it, I'm going to read it. So right to have a book, to have a list of 1200 books, you know, I want to read. Right. It's crazy. My read books on Goodreads is 1,263. And the scary oh, thing about shoot. that is that I know that there's books that are missing because when did I start listing That's books impressive. on Goodreads? That is really impressive. I look back on them sometimes, though, and I don't remember. I think I'm going to have a month of, of rereading because I've read so many things right now. It says I have 992 ratings. How is that possible? That's really amazing. What are you reading right now? We haven't gotten to that. Okay, so right now I'm reading this book called Elsie Come Home, and it's about this American woman from Maine who lives in China with, does she have a Dutch boyfriend? Not not boyfriend, husband. And he has given her a brochure for a retreat up in the mountains. And basically she knows that if she does not go on this trip, her marriage is over. They have two small kids. Um, I think one is eight and one is seven. They, they had them 11 months apart and she's been having struggles with alcohol. You know, she's an artist. So I think that she's trying to balance some things, but she goes on this retreat and I think she's only supposed to be gone for a week and it's supposed to help her sort of get her life together. But it's about what happens and, you know, you sort of unfolds about how their marriage and how their relationship got to this point. And, you know, when she finishes, if she'll actually be able or ready to return to her family. So 
it's really interesting. It's a, you know, pretty quick and easy read and I'm enjoying that. Okay. So, um, and I'm also reading Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal. That oh, is that's the, book the one we're supposed to read together. That I want Gail to read with me. I really like having the audio because um, the pronunciation of the Indian names and the towns and the different outfits that they have. Uh, I love hearing her say that because in my head I wouldn't know how to say that. But I also really enjoy reading the book. And that one is a retake. A retelling of Pride and Prejudice at modern day Pakistan and I really like how she has updated the character so I'm really enjoying that okay let and me ask you can something can that count for my romance that can count for romance yes. I mean it's Pride and Prejudice yes but let me ask you a question so the other morning I was picking a new audiobook and um, I started that one briefly and it was like super early in the morning and I was really tired and I was like, Oh my God, I just need something that I'm going to get super into really fast. And that's, and then I just kind of like impulsively decided to go with, um, uh, Michelle is the, is the accent, like, is the audio pretty easy to understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's easy to understand. It is not, you know, like, I like this about this and maybe other people will not. It's not like it just jumps, you know, like Pride and Prejudice practically starts on the, you know, the original novel. It starts on basically the first page. It is the Bennett sisters are there and they are waiting um, or they they hear of this neighbor who's moved to town and they're just like right into it. Yeah. This, because it is set in Pakistan, you know, it's like a different culture. So there's um, a lot more that, that is going into, you know, understanding the society, how it's structured, how the Bennett's in this tale have gotten to where they are and explaining it so that you have the background that makes it make sense in Pakistan. You know, it's not just you know, five daughters sitting at home. It is like, how did she become a teacher? Or how is she in this position? And how did the, the, this family lose their money? And what does this mean in their society? And how does it operate? So I think that there's like two to three chapters of background setting. I mean, you do, they have to introduce who Charlotte is, because she's not necessarily the neighbor who's living right next door or, you know, so it's like that you have to learn the meaning, the okay. meanings for this story. So and I think like, by chapter three, you're starting to get into who Mr. Darcy is and, and the right. wedding and stuff like that. So it, it's really good if you okay. like learning about other cultures. Okay. I think you should be awake, though. Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm not reading it at the same time as you. I know that was the goal. So I apologize. Oh, it's that okay. It didn't align for this particular book. So one thing that I just finished reading is Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. I think you just bought one of her books, right? I did, yes. You bought the first one. I think I had bought Swimming Lessons. So as usual, I collect books by an author before I finally, (laughs) (laughs) by the time that I've bought or, I don't know, have a digital copy or however I have it. So it's the third book that I'm reading. I just did the same thing with the author of The Suspect, Fiona Barton. I just started, you know, like I have both other books, but I just started on the third book. So I did the same thing here. I really liked it. I didn't think that I was going to like it's really slow in the beginning. But 
it's one of those novels where by the time I got to the end, that slowness really worked. And then I went back and I read the first couple of chapters again, just because I, you know, I mean, I feel like it's set in a world. It's a lot of detail that you have to enjoy. There's like lots of sort of history and architecture, um, a lot about this old house and, you know, the fountains that were a part of it and, and what the landscape looks like. But it is the story of this woman who has just buried her mother and she arrives at this estate because she's supposed to be doing some drawings for this American owner who's bought the place and he wants to figure out what's what. So she's supposed to be doing some drawings for him and she meets this other couple. The wife in that couple is is sort of weird. She tells these strange stories. You know, they of course, they are a very attractive couple. And, and she's this awkward woman who spent like the last 10 years caring for her dying mother. They get drawn into the same world. You know, pretty much they start hanging out. She's never had friends. She's very enamored of them. And there's some tragic things happen. I think it's, you get evidence right away that something is going to be developing. You know, there's like some sinister stuff going on. So I, I really enjoyed the story. I'm looking forward to reading uh, some of Claire Fuller's other work. That's great. I think the one I got is called our endless number days. Is that possible? Yes. I think that's her first one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, at some point I'll get to Unmarriageable and we'll have our discussion. All right. So on to the main event. Yes. So what do we want to do first? Do we want to share some of our crowdsourced readerly report reader suggestions for romance? Should we stall or should we go with our own picks first? Let's start with ours and then we can go with, with theirs. Okay. All right, Gail. All right. Well, as we mentioned, I found it really hard to <laughs> find a lot of ones. <laughs> but here's the list. I have, I have like six. One, two, That's three. That's good. I, I have six. Yeah, I have six books. And so I think we probably discussed most of these on the show before, but we think we can just sort of just list them quickly. Um, the first one I have is called Every Day, and it is by David Levithan, and it is a YA book that I read with my girls for a um, mother-daughter book club a couple years ago. And it's about this person who wakes up every morning in somebody else's body. And it's this person is the same person, but they just personify or they occupy the body of a different person every day. And the, it's unclear whether the person is a man or a woman um, because they come back to, you know, in, in the form of both. And they fall in love with a girl and eventually they're able to communicate to this girl that they are, you know, what their predicament is. And it's kind of about how they manage to keep sort of seeing each other and being in contact with each other, given this extreme challenge that they face about being together. And it, I thought it was very inventive and it's, it's very romantic because they have to overcome, you know, this, this terrible situation. I know there have been some sequels to this book and I know one of them was made into a movie. I haven't read the sequels. I haven't seen the movie. I just thought this was a really interesting book and, and very sweet in some ways. And also very, um, I like the way it was very empathetic to all of the people that this person 
occupied. You know, he, he or she got to experience life as, you know, different races, different sizes, different genders, different mental states. And I thought that was, was well done. So that's my number, my, my first pick here for romantic books. Why don't I do one more and then you can do two and we'll just switch off. Um, my second one is the book I just read this year called The Hating Game, which is actually a romance. I, I, I think over time, as, as the world gets more and more grim, I like to read lighter and lighter fare. And so I picked up this book, The Hating Game, and it's um, I just talked about it like last week. It's about these two people who profess to hate each other, but actually, of course, deep down they love each other. And then how do they get from point A to point B, you know, sort of admitting and acknowledging and, you know, that whole sort of like tension between them. And it's very witty and sexy and funny. And I liked it a lot. So those are my first two. Okay, so... My first one, and you know, I didn't know, I mean, because most of our list is going to be backlist because as I said, we tend to come across romance naturally (laughs) and in different settings. But back in the day, I really loved and I was really into reading the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon. And I had totally forgotten about this. And I was like, wait a minute, I read the Outlander books. I read two or three of them, and then I got a little bored. They started branching out too much away from Jamie and Claire. They went to the daughter, and they were going to America, and I think I liked the original version back in Scotland. Of course, this is now like a blockbuster series on stars. Lots of buzz around Jamie. I mean, one of my friends, he has these events the actor who plays Jamie will show up to, and she will send me that she's going to be going or she'll go with her mother. And it's really funny. But these are about a woman, I believe she's a nurse and she goes out. She is on her honeymoon, I believe, or she's newly married. I think her husband has just returned from war and they are getting to know each other again. And they are in Scotland and she wanders out and she touches these stones and she is sent back in time where she meets uh, Jamie Frazier, who is the outlander. And it's about her life and the life that she is basically forced to live with him or to build with him when she can't get back into her own time. But then it's about sort of the struggles that she faces when she's torn between two worlds, um, when she finally finds a way to get back and how, their history overlaps with each other in terms of people that she knows in her present who have either counterparts or ancestors in their past and their relationships with each other. But that is a true, like probably true. One of my first historical romances, I think. People love that series on TV. They love, I mean, that's so popular. I've never read any of them. I know. And I just saw on Facebook today in another, like I was looking at the the group stuff going on. And in another group, someone mentioned that they had just finished reading nine of these books, which is like crazy because these books are like 600 pages long. Wow. And I just, I personally can't imagine 
she read them in a year. So she said, no, she said she read them in nine months and she's, she's ready for the ninth one and the 10th one. I can't imagine. I feel like it would just be reading a book that's the size of gone with the wind and just never ends. Like I would need time between them, but people love them. I mean, I mean, they're great books. I just, I think I had read, you know, you get into them and you really want to know what happens. And I think I read the first two or three books. But like I said, Jamie and Claire start getting older and they start branching out into the daughter. And I, I'm just never one who, if I start reading a series about one particular couple or something, I really don't, I really don't want you to get too far away from them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's book number one. Book number two is... Eligible by Curtis Settenfeld, which of course nice. is another retelling of Pride and Prejudice, which is a romance. And I really enjoyed this. You know, I, I love well-written Pride and Prejudice retellings, you know, that are slightly different, you know, whether they're set in modern time or they're set in a different country or whatever. I like things that manage to stick with the, you know, the outline of the story, but provide something new. And I really like the way she updated the story. I wasn't crazy about the reality show part of it, but right, it was still really entertaining. Very entertaining, for sure. Gail, what's next? Okay, so um, I have two that are relatively recent as well. One I just read called, all, called Our Souls at Night. I just read it last week by Kent Haruf. Um, this is romance of the quiet and uh and older generation it's about um a couple who they both are 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 alone having lost their spouses in the last few years and they kind of um start to hang out together at night it's not necessarily romantic at least in the beginning but it's something that they're both lonely and they decide to you know just spend time together and it's a very sweet quiet kind of melancholy book but it's definitely got um, a lot of romantic and and sort of love elements to it so that is a very new book and I, I really liked it and the other one is One Day in December which I also read recently too um, just last fall and about kind of star-crossed ill-fated couple in London and you know it takes the whole book will they or won't they end up together in the end and you know, by the time the end appears that they're a little bit battered and it's not this like, you know, idealistic first blush thing anymore, but yet is there still enough there for them to end up together? So that was a sweet book and people seem to love that book. I've, it, it's had a lot of longevity over the last couple months and people, it's still very popular. So I picked that one too. Yep. So that is books three and four. Okay. So My next book is another book that was made into a movie, a wildly popular movie. Um, I I think I read it, or did I see the movie first? I can't even remember now. But it's Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding. And I love Bridget Jones' Diary. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, it sort of mixes a sort of of fish-out-of-water story about this woman who has a really tight knit group of friends, but she's sort of like trying to find her way in her career and, and her love life. And, you know, she's sort of dating a guy who is not very 
good for her, but (laughs) she's doing that. She's trying to stay on top of her career stuff and she meets a gentleman. It's sort of a pride and prejudice knockoff. She meets someone who, you know, they Mm -hmm. make very snap judgments about each other. Um, and don't like each other. Don't seem like they are a likely couple at all, but you know, much like in Pride and Prejudice, they sort of keep getting thrown into each other's orbit and it develops from there. And it's a very sweet love story. I can't get enough of Bridget Jones. Like I can, I can watch that movie anytime that it comes on. Is he the, is the inappropriate one? Is he the Hugh Grant character? He is. <laughs> okay. Is there also, um, is there also Colin Firth in that movie? Yes, he is. Okay. He is. Quote, he's the Mr. Darcy character. So he's the Darcy and Hugh Grant's the Wickham. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. So my next one is a novel by Beverly Jenkins, and it is just straight up bodice ripper romance, which I was curious to read because it's a, it. From the cover, you would think that it's like an interracial love story set in the Civil War time. And you just kind of go, how is that possible? Like, what's going on here? But a closer reading or a closer look and you see that this story is actually about a man who's able to pass for white, who has escaped out of slavery and he has gone out west and has has reinvented himself as this white man. And there is a woman who is relocating to a different town to, I think her name is Edie. I read this a while ago. I actually listened to it on audio. It was a good audio listen. But her name is Edie and she is hoping to start her own life. So she's arriving to this Western town by wagon train. But along the way, she runs into ruffians who make off with her savings and make off with her things, but he rescues her and it is about their relationship. You know, she has to stop in the town where he lives to sort of, I guess, get her bearings. You know, she has to get a job and she has to, and she gets a job working in the kitchen, you know, on his recommendation. And so she sort of has to get her life back together so that she can continue on to, where she was going. I think she was destined for California and it is about their relationship. It was, it's set in the West. So it's like, I think at that time, based on what's going on in this book, racial boundaries, just because it wasn't as an established city were a little bit looser and they have this relationship that still made me you know, rather tense, like white man or white looking man and black woman hanging out together in that time period. But it's, it was a sweet romance, really interesting. I think I had to suspend a little bit more disbelief than I would have liked, but it's, she, she, Beverly Jenkins is a really good writer. So I liked her romance. Okay. Is that, is that the end of your list? Um, that was my next two. Okay. Do you have more? I have two no, I have two more. These are Hall of Fame. Evergreen, never to be removed from this list. Um, the first, of course, is Pride and Prejudice. The mother of all romantic books. The most romantic book I've ever read. I love it. It's perfect. The original that spawned half of our other reading lists. <laughs> And that will always be, to me, the pinnacle. And then the other one is The Time Traveler's Wife, which I just think is also such a romantic book. It's kind of like 
every day in that you've got a couple that's really trying to overcome a lot of very difficult um, odds to stay together and kind of return to each other time and time again. And I loved it. I loved the movie. I know most people didn't, but I thought the movie was great, but the book was even better. So always, I always recommend The Time Traveler's Wife. That is so funny because, of course, you're absolutely right. Like, probably my entire list, everything was a variation of Pride and Prejudice. It's like Pride well, you and Prejudice had, set here. Pride and yeah. Prejudice. Well, we ha- I had well, the Outlander. You had Unmarriageable. You had, um, you had Unmarriageable, Eligible, and Bridget Jones, all of which are unabashed retellings yes, of Pride and Prejudice. Yes, they are. Yeah. And the other one that I would add to the list is the Jane Austen Project. Yep. Which was a, it's, it was a, it's time travel. It is these two time travelers go back into Jane Austen's time in order to find out important, somehow information is important to their society. They need to figure out what happened or to find the manuscript of the last novel that she wrote. And they get to interact with Jane Austen. It's really fun. And, and there is romance involved. Can I ask you a completely random question that has nothing to do with what we're talking about? Sure. Have you have you read The Dinner List? No. Do you want to? It gets such mixed reviews. Um, why? Should we read that together? I don't know. I would like to read it. I would read that with you. Okay. So we can do that instead of Unmarriageable? Let's do that because I actually have that in print. Okay. And then we can read it at the same time. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Just give me a little time to get through my weird. I was about to say I need I need a little bit of time. Okay, maybe we'll look at the like the beginning of March or something. Okay, that sounds okay. good. All right, excuse my clicking, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the Facebook page here and talk about some of the ones that have come up from um, our fans of um, our readerly report readers group. So um, some of the ones that have come up, the T-Rose Trilogy, I've never heard of that one, Jennifer Donnelly, um, Snow Falling on Cedars, Girl in Translation, which is funny, and I wouldn't have thought of that as a love story, but I, I, there is definitely a love story at the heart of it, it just that didn't jump up to me. Um, Time Traveler's Wife, Bel Canto, which does have a lovely um, love element, a few different uh, characters in there fall in love. Uh, then another vote for the time traveler's wife, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, time traveler's wife again. Look at that. Gone with the wind, Eleanor and Park. Let's see. Then we've got a whole bunch here from Sarah of Sarah's bookshelves. Jane Eyre, as I know it is a romance. I am not disputing that it's a romance. It's a romance that annoys me. I don't like Rochester. And I don't like the way she had to get him. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so this is Sarah's list, and these are, are a lot of these are pretty new. Otherwise Engaged, One Day in December, which was on my list, How to Walk Away, The Age of Light, Loving Frank, Forever is the Worst Long Time, and Where the Crawdads Sing, which is another book that um, I would like to read that I have. If, have you read Where the Crawdads Sing yet? I haven't read it yet. Okay, we could maybe do those two. As, uh, if, you, if you're interested, we could read that together also. Um, More Than Words by Jill Santopolo. I know that you read her other book. Yep. And it's it's a romance. Yep. Catherine Center has a new romance that's coming out that I want to read. Oh, I like, like Catherine Center. How to Start a Fire. Or how to Oh, a Things fire. You Save in a Fire. Okay. 
I have that. Like, is she on going a... down? Is she? Does she have a list of things that you have to do? What's the first? How to walk away? How to walk away? Uh, she has a, a couple. I read some books of hers a long time ago. Like everything is beautiful. I think is one of them. And uh, yeah, I have things you save in a fire. That I got that on um, on digital. I need to read that. That is probably going to be good. I like her. Some other ones that Sarah liked from last year, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, American Marriage, Our Souls at Night, which I just talked about, and Sweet Bitter, which I know you like. Oh, because you wrote underneath it. You confirmed Sweet Bitter. Um, Their Eyes Were Watching God, Love in the Time of Cholera, uh, One Day in December, The Light We Lost. So there's Jill Santopolo's first book. The Dream Daughter. Uh, That's a book I picked up at Book Expo and have not read yet. Mary said it was really good. Yeah, people have A few people book. have said that they have really yeah. liked that book. Like Water for Chocolate, A Room with a View. Well, I think that that is a nice list from our our uh, Facebook group. And uh, if you're looking for There's some There's a romance, couple of things, though, that are out this week that I just briefly want to mention. I Owe You One by Sophie Kinsella is a, is a romance. You mentioned The Age of Light by Whitney Sherrod. That looks really interesting. Oh, the one about um, the Man Ray. Person. Yeah. Yeah. There's this book out called The Matchmakers List by Sonia Lolly that I'm looking forward to. I mean, I think it's about an Indian woman who's, who, whose family wants her to get married. And I think she decides to take suggestions or recommendations from her grandmother. And she says that she will go on these dates. I would read something like that. So that's quite a list. I think... So now we've got you covered if you want to spend, and these were pretty good. We did pretty good. I think that these are sort of romantic, romantic books. There's not too much tragedy and drama in them. Mm-mm. And no, then next week, right. we can talk about our favorite. <laughs> doomed romances. No, not doomed romances. I think that we should we should talk about Black History Month and what books that we like from African-American or authors of African descent. Absolutely. That sounds like a good plan. Uh, and we have some guests going to be coming on the show. Some of our long-time We have actual readers. confirmed guests. <laughs> confirmed guests. we got a lot coming up. Um, I'm going to put in a little request here, which is if you're listening to the show and you like the show, please leave us a review. It makes such a difference for us to have um, reviews. And if you know other readers who you think would like the show, we would love it if you would share it with them. Um, the way that I have found most podcasts get um, to increase their following is by word of mouth. So if you like it and you think you know other kindred readers out there who would enjoy these recommendations in this discussion, please just send them a link, let them know about the show, encourage them to join the Facebook group. Um, we'd love to have even more people to uh, interact with when it comes to this type of content. We love book stuff. Yes. Obsessed. All right. Well, I'm going to try to get through my strange backlog of reading, and uh, I will report back, and then we can pick a date for um, the dinner party, or the dinner list. That's what it's called. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, 
at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.